Welcome to Inside the Draft, a weekly preview of the upcoming NFL Draft with insiders from around the country. Inside the Draft is back again with one week until the first round of the 2022 NFL Draft. I'm Matt Taylor, Casey Vallier this week as well. And we're talking up the picks, breaking things down with Rick Saratella, our guest today, NFL Draft Insider from the NFL Draft Bible. You can also check out his work on Sports Illustrated. Rick, love having you back on, man, during draft season. What's going on? Gentlemen, good to be here. Favorite time of the year. We're uh, approaching single digits leading up to the draft, so exciting time. Indeed. I always like asking guys like yourself, what does, Rick, what does draft weekend look like for you? How are you covering the draft and, and where can we find your work yeah you know it's uh it's evolving like every year this, this whole draft process gets bigger and bigger so it's unbelievable we're gonna have uh, a live draft blog going on over at the nfl draft bible and uh, uh albert greer and myself will have pre and post draft video coverage so check it out over at si.com i greatly appreciate that awesome absolutely all right so the colts They've made a lot of big moves so far this offseason, Rick. I mean, Matt Ryan's here, Unique Ngakwe, Stephon Gilmore. Based on what they've done so far this offseason, Rick, what's left for them in the draft, in your opinion, at least early on in the draft? Well, i got to tell you, fellas, I mean, what uh, general manager Chris Ballard pulled off with, with the trade, what he gave up to get Matt Ryan, what he hauled in for Carson Wentz, I mean, uh, that was a magic act if I ever saw one. So, uh, I, I think the uh, Colts are in good position here. I liked how they got some draft equity back. They upgraded the most important position in the draft. And I think, you know, in order for Matt Ryan now to have success, they're going to need to surround him with some playmakers. And I think it's a great year if you need a wide receiver. Uh, that is arguably the deepest position in this year's draft. going to be a lot of playmakers, a lot of guys who slide down to day two and even day three that are going to be productive players. I'm going to I'm going to get to a hypothetical here because it's kind of the the way that the Colts have have operated in the past. The Colts sit at 42, no first round pick and as you mentioned, you know, adding some dynamic weapons on the outside for Matt Ryan might be an opportunity here in this draft of the deep wide receiver class. When you look at 42, is there a chance you can see, you know, maybe a trade back to stockpile a little bit more picks and still get the same quality of guy if you move back a handful of spots there in the second round? I do believe so. I, I think there's enough guys in this wide receiver class that somebody's going to slide and you can get great value in this year's draft. Now, the hard part is you got to find a trade partner. And at the second round, you know, these guys are so evenly matched in this year's draft. I think once you get past the top 10 guys, you can argue guys 11 through 50 are very equally uh, graded. And so I do think, like, for example, Kyle Phillips out of UCLA, I'll talk about this young man. He may not go until day three. I have a hard time believing with his route running, with his ability to separate uh, Kyle Phillips, I think at the end of the day, when we look back in this year's draft, he's going to be one of the top five wide receivers to come out of this thing. He's going to go on day three. And there's a lot of guys who can stretch the field, their speed, their size, their length. Um, so there's a lot of flavors to choose from. So let's... 
Well, now on that same topic, it looks like what the Colts have done here in the offseason, they've you know added depth on the defensive side of the ball. So there's other opportunities in the offensive side during the draft, whether it is at wide receiver. But another area, we saw Eric Fisher. He hasn't been resigned yet here. He's a free agent still, but they brought Matt Pryor back. But there's still maybe that long-term, maybe not answer, but they're still looking at that long-term option at left tackle. Is that an area that at 42 or maybe even later in the third, I know it's a deep class at tackle, is that an area the Colts can pursue yeah that's another one of these positions that have some really good depth i think they're going to come off the board fast they're going to come off the board furious so i don't know if you're getting a franchise left tackle type but at 42 i mean there's a guy uh, out of Tulsa, tyler smith uh you talk about the upside there and and, and what he brings to the table in terms of size and athleticism he needs to refine his technique a little bit but he's got all the upside in the world. Abraham Lucas out of Washington State, he laid down some solid film against Kayvon Thibodeau and tested really well, has incredible size. It's six foot six, three fifteen, a huge, huge wingspan, tested uh, really athletic. And even Bernard Raymond from Central Michigan, you take a look at this guy, uh, he's a converted tight end. He packed on about 60 pounds since he arrived there at Central, Central wow. Michigan. And so he's still developing a little bit older, albeit I think he's going to be 25 at kickoff. But the best football is still ahead of this young man. I'll give you two other deep – you know, I know the Colts fans are smart. I'm out there at the Combine all the time. I talk to the Colts fans. I know they're intelligent people. They're looking, hey, Rick, who are those guys on day three? I'll tell you what, Ryan Van Denmark from UConn, this guy's heating up and you talk about – the athletic frame he's still filling out i had a chance to see him uh he can still add another 10 15 pounds of muscle mass and be a swingman tackle for that first year or two and eventually be groomed to start and so i like what he brings to the table uh there was another one i wanted to put on your radar showing ryan out of ucla is a good one on, on day two or day three so there's a lot of depth at the offensive tackle position. Hey, Rick, maybe not necessarily a, a, a draft question, but it has to do with the draft. Like a, a guy like Baker Mayfield, do you think we'll see quarterback needy teams go with quarterbacks in the draft rather than a veteran like Mayfield because of what teams can do with that extra money to supplement the roster around that young quarterback on a rookie deal? How does how does this draft impact you know what we're going to see from Baker Mayfield in the uh, in the near future in 2022? You know, I think there's going to be very few teams in the Baker Mayfield market. I think Seattle Seahawks could be one of them. It makes a lot of sense. Uh, I, I just don't I – do, for the record, I do think Baker Mayfield is a better option, much better option than any of these quarterbacks who I personally would not select in the first round. So I like the philosophy of building around that rookie contract. And if you like one of these quarterbacks to do that enough, well then, hey, by all means, pull the trigger and go for it. I personally have a hard time wrapping my head around that. And so, and Baker Mayfield, if it gives me a chance to win, do the Carolina Panthers need to win right now? Yes, they do. Do the Seattle Seahawks feel comfortable with Drew Locke as a starting quarterback? I don't care what they might say publicly. I can tell you privately they do not. And so I think those would be maybe the two leading spots. Other than that, guys, I mean, there's really not a whole lot of jobs left open. Right. How many how many quarterbacks do you have going in the first round, and and who are they? 
Well, I, I do think Kenny Pickett is going to come off the board uh, as well as Malik Willis. Those are my two locks. Carolina's the wild card, and, and Matt Rule actually recruited Kenny Pickett to come to Temple before he left for Baylor, and the owner, David uh, Tepper of Carolina, the Pitt graduate. And so all the signs point to a Kenny Pickett possibility. With that being said, they could trade down. I could see the Saints uh, looking to trade up. They have the ammunition now to do it. Uh, at 16 and 19, they could get to five and maybe pull the trigger for a Kenny Pickett. And then I think Malik Willis could go to the Falcons at eight. I could see Malik Willis to the Seattle Seahawks at nine. Um, from what you're hearing, there's going to be more quarterbacks than, than what you're, you know, Philadelphia Eagles have been linked to Malik Willis as well. If he were to slide at 15 and 18, I think he's a possibility there. Uh, Desmond Ritter is the guy I think now is going to be the third quarterback off the board. If New Orleans can't get up to six, I could see a Desmond Ritter to the, to the Saints at maybe uh, 16 or 19 there. And I think there's going to be a fourth quarterback. I, I do believe it'll be Sam Howell or Matt Corral. Uh, for my money, I like Sam Howell a, a little bit more. Maybe a team like Tampa Bay is looking for that next quarterback. Uh, maybe Detroit at 32 says, hey, you know what, let's take a quarterback here. So, you know what, there could be four or five guys, maybe Ritter, maybe even Corral slides in because at the end of the day, guys, there are teams looking to upgrade the position. They might not necessarily want to spend the money on a Baker Mayfield, but you look around the league, all the teams that made the playoffs, the common denominator for most of them, most of them have really strong quarterback play. So, as long as that's the case, teams are going to roll the dice right. on the quarterback position. Yeah, off of what you just said, how many of those quarterbacks are drafted to start to be the guy? I think Pickett is a guy that can step in and really, like he doesn't have a huge ceiling, but he has the higher floor. And I think you could put him in there and, and, and at least get play from year one. The other guys really all need to be redshirted the first year in my opinion. Now, with that, here's, here's the final kind of question on quarterbacks. We, we talked about Baker Mayfield, and that's one end of it. But I'm looking at a guy like Jordan Love. You see you know, Aaron Rodgers sign this extension, which essentially is going to take you through that rookie deal of Jordan Love. Is that a possibility that maybe you see him on the move of the draft? And, and if you were, wh- where would you rank him if he was in this class? I know he's got a couple years on him, but he has that you know, experience learning underneath Aaron Rodgers. Yeah, I mean, I think he would definitely be right up there at the top in the conversation of the number one quarterback in this year's draft. Now, the Packers have him under control at a pretty reasonable contract, so I don't think right. they're necessarily dying to do him. But I, if I was an NFL team, I would definitely explore the opportunity. And if I couldn't pry a guy like Jordan Love, I maybe I roll the dice on a rookie, or maybe, you know what, guys? Maybe I just wait until training camp and see if I can just get Jimmy Garoppolo 10 cent on the dollar. Right. Now, now when you look at this, you know, you look at this draft and I know, you know, quarterback's always the hot button topic, but you know, when you look at the other positions, when you when you're looking at maybe grading this draft in 3-4 years from now, who do you think for on your board is going to be the best player in this in this 2022 draft? Oh, it's Kayvon Thibodeau. I don't think it's even close what this man does on tape, what he's able to do in terms of just disrupting the backfield, allowing others to make plays. The pass rush repertoire, dip, rip, bend, uh, technically sound fundamentals. Kayvon Thibodeau does it all. I don't see the lackadaisical play. I know he had a high ankle sprain, suffered in week one, and he played through the entire year. 
So maybe the stats weren't what people expected. But to me, Kayvon Thibodeau is head and shoulders above all. I think Derek Stingley is a guy out of LSU. Comes with a lot of question marks, but pound for pound. Go put on the film a couple of years ago. Go watch the practice film against Jamar Chase day in and day out at LSU practice. I've got Derek Stingley at number two. Uh, Icky Ekawanu from North Carolina State. This guy, I think, has all the upside in the world. At the end of the day, he might not be the best offensive tackle today. But to your to your question, man, when we look back, I think Ekawanu's in the mix. Kyle Hamilton from Notre Dame. I don't care what the 40-yard dash says. This guy is a heck of a football player. Those are my top four talents in this year's draft. Well, here's that brings me to my next question. I've heard Thibodeau as kind of that guy, but it seems like Hutchinson has been the clear-cut number one pick from a lot of people throughout. Why is that? Why is Thibodeau not that number one guy that people are talking about? Hutchinson is a safer play. You know what you're getting, I think. A solid contributor from the gates, probably not a star. And if I said, hey, you're going to have a talented starter for the next four years, that sounds great. If I told you you had to invest the number one overall pick, not so cool. <laughs> to me, Kayvon Thibodeau brings star potential. This is a guy that can take over games. This is a guy that's an all-pro talent. I don't see that. <laughs> Maybe I'm wrong. I don't see that when I watch Aiden Hutchinson. I think Kayvon Thibodeau is still developing, still getting better. I think Aiden Hutchinson's plateaued. He's been kind of late bloomer in his college career and I don't know. I, I watched the film with Chase Linovich. I watched the film with Aiden Hutchinson. Yeah, Hutchinson's a better prospect. Is, is he that great of a talent that he's lights out above Chase Linovich? I wouldn't say that. So wow. it's just hard for me to put the number one overall pick in, in a guy like that. Rick, you said that you see things a little bit different on some players when you watch the tape. When you go back and watch tape of a player – that you've already examined. Let's say you watch a guy in, in, in uh, February and then you turn the tape back on again in late March. How much variation do you see when you watch the same thing over again? Do your uh, evaluations, your reports on guys, do they differ based on seeing the same tape twice and, and maybe you see something you didn't see you know, the second time compared to the first time? Well, I mean, one thing I've learned about this process is it's never over. You just run out of time. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds like my life. <laughs> yeah, right. So, there you go. I mean, so yeah, I mean, you try to get as much as you can. I think once you kind of flip the calendar year, you hopefully you've got the film process. And, and when you go to the combine, that's where you kind of hope to pair up the Right. Apples to apples. Hey, it, it, does this add up with what I saw? Hey, this this match says, wait, wait a second. Now these measurables are a little bit different than what I saw on film. Okay, maybe I need to go circle back, find out what I'm not seeing there, or was he out of position? Was he not utilized correctly? Was he nursing an injury? Did he have some stuff going on mm-hmm. off the field and between the ears that was affecting his play? So there's so many variables, right? And that's the beauty of the draft, guys. I mean, you guys know it. If you're if you're hitting the five out of ten, you're doing a great job. Yeah, no doubt about it. Yeah, it's kind of like uh, it's kind of like baseball in that regard, right? Three out of ten. If you hit three hundred, you're a Hall of Famer. Um, this is kind of an off the wall one for me, Rick. You know, college football is really all about the passing game now. That's why wide receivers are a plenty these last couple of years. I'm curious though has has the current college game hurt any positions? Has the landscape of college football hurt how teams draft certain positions because of how the game is being played and how it's been trending? Yeah, you know what? The NFL is always going to be 
the latest fads and trends, like you said, and you have to adapt and evolve. That's what the game of football is about, whether you like it or not. And I do think that, in a way, it's kind of dumbed down a lot of NFL offenses where you see these RPOs kind of trickle yeah. into the NFL, right? And so I will say, like, the offensive line position is probably the one that's been hurt the most when you see offensive linemen coming out of college. They're running the air raid. They're not even getting down. Yeah. I mean, they're, they're in a two-point stance. They're not even getting down and putting their hand in the dirt, and then they got to come to the NFL and just learn how to get into a stance. And so I think that's why you see such poor offensive line play. Like, name any NFL team, I guarantee at least they all need at least one tackle upgrade, maybe two, and everybody's hurting on the interior looking for an upgraded offensive lineman. So I would say offensive linemen get hurt significantly, and and the trickle-down effect has been, hey, the NFL offenses have had to evolve so that you can inject the quarterback and these guys are looking over at the sidelines that there's three signs the coaches are holding up. You know, read the one in the middle. You know, right, 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 right. It's a big adjustment, right? How do GMs, how do people like yourself evaluate offensive linemen that are being asked to do things at the next level that they're not at all being asked to do in college? Like, how difficult is that to project who's good, who's not, who can who can make it in the NFL? Well, and here's this is a great way to bring the conversation full circle, fellas, because this is what where the in-person scouting and experience and contacts and relationships come into play. And the Colts staff, I mean, you guys have an incredible scouting department. I'm friends with a lot of the guys behind the scenes. Chris Ballard is so well-respected amongst just the scouting community in general because he does – allow his scouts to scout and they do the time they put in the work they have the relationships i mean there are some obscure pro days that i attend and and nine times out of ten the Colts are one of the few teams represented so i think it comes down to really getting to know the players really trusting your relationships and just like players uh in the scouting community you can't teach experience yeah and you have to have those relationships in order to what we like to say eliminate risk right you got to eliminate your risk as much as you can all right last one for me rick which team really needs to have a good draft and i know the answer is every team every team needs to have a good draft every year but which team really needs to hit it out of the park this year in order for them to either turn it around or really kind of take that next step to really compete next season I think it's the L.A. Chargers. You know, I feel like they're just knocking on the door every single season. I'm always, like, picking them as the dark horse candidates to go from worst to first or make the playoffs. Mm-hmm. I feel like they have a win-now roster. They do have a young, talented quarterback, arguably a top-five quarterback, on that rookie deal that they need to build around with you know, couple talented stars on the defensive side of the ball. I mean, I feel like the Chargers have all the pieces in place. They hit the uh, home run with Rashawn Slater a year ago. I know they're picking at 17. Maybe maybe a Stingley even slides to, to them. Yeah. But, man, I feel like the Chargers are the team right there just knocking on the door. The Tyree Kill is, is – you know, that AFC West seems so wide open now. Russell Wilson into the mix. Uh, the Raiders giving Carr the extension and the head coach there. I mean, that's just going to be such a competitive division. But I think the Chargers are really primed and ready to go. All right. That's Rick Saratella, NFL Draft Insider from the NFL Draft Bible, also Sports Illustrated as well. Again, one more time, what are you writing about soon, Rick? And remind us again where we can find out your work and all your stuff on Draft Weekend. 
Oh, baby, we're going to have mock drafts just about every day of the week over <laughs> on the NFL Draft Bible, you know. Yep. SI.com for the pre- and post-draft coverage. Uh, again, Albert Brew and myself, he's one of the best NFL insiders around. And in my opinion, so he'll bring that NFL angle. I'll bring the draft slant. We'll get you covered front to back, north to south, east to west. Appreciate the time. This was a lot of fun. Absolutely. Rick Saratella, man, absolutely it was fun. Appreciate the insight. Keep up the good work, and we'll talk soon. Thanks as always. Yes, sir.